So Mark chapter 5, we're starting with verse 21, and we'll be reading to verse 43. It's all one big story. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with them. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed immediately. Her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? They're feeling a little salty. Salty. Salty, okay. (laughs) Thank you, Aaron. Someone help me in my time of suffering myself. Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around. He's very persistent, you see, to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in uh, where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. All right. Quite the story. Uh, You will notice that this is the story of the twelves. So you've got a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and a little girl who's 12 years old. So just to be clear, the girl's as old as the woman who has been bleeding. I mean, the girl's as old as the affliction in the woman, which actually has no significance whatsoever, but it's just interesting. Um, Yeah, we literally just did this on Easter, and so I'll point out a few things that I think are interesting uh, that are different in the in Mark's account than from the Lucan account. Uh, you get a little bit more detail in this one. Uh, so you see in verse 37 how Peter, James, and John once again get a front row pass to something that the rest of the disciples don't. This is the, uh, I believe in the book of Mark, the first time that Jesus raises someone from the dead. Um, <clears throat> it happens, obviously, in other times in Mark. Um, both broadly, like, and people, like, where it just says, like, he does stuff, but it doesn't actually give the exact story. But I believe this is the first time in the book of Mark um, 
And that seems to be what it is that he's doing with Peter, James, and John. It seems to be um, they're getting a front row seat to the first time he does something, which again, um, Jesus seems to have a sense of the level of revelation that these guys have. And so because of their level of revelation, he's getting a sense that his father is doing something that's different in them, or at least first in them than with the others. And so because of that, he responds differently. Um, Again, I can't help but wonder what the other nine are thinking. Um, If you think about, there's another time in Mark chapter 9 where these three get a front row seat to something. It's at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes them up to a mountain. It seems like they're up there for a few days and they spend time with Moses and Elijah. Um, And you get to see Jesus, it says, transfigured right before their very eyes where his hair is glowing. He's transfixed into like bright, shining white clothes. And he looks basically godlike. And they're the only ones who get to see it. And again, I have to wonder, the other nine are getting a little, like seriously again, like, because this is at least the first time that we see this happen in the scriptures. Maybe it happens in other times, but um, I think we can just, one of the things again to pull out of this is we are... um, we are a very democratic culture. Um, we are a democratic culture as it relates to, we happen to live in a country that quasi believes in democracy. Um, it's probably more of an oligarchy than a democracy, but that's for another time and another place. Um, but even like in our, even in our, like our church body, like that you can see there's this like, like desire to like operate in some ways like a democracy, which isn't a wholly bad thing. It's just that that's not how Jesus operates. I don't mean democracy like everyone necessarily votes so much as there's this underlying belief that everyone should be treated at all times equally. Um, And it doesn't mean that like the way that Jesus treats people is not that you have different value. You have the exact same value. But that doesn't mean that like I treat everyone the exact same way. Because again, his, his modus operandi is I'm only going to do what I see the Father doing. So if the father is doing something very specific in this, and I have a sense that I'm supposed to do something that is different from other people, that's what I'm going to do. And I can't imagine that that was a popular decision with the disciples. Because that same day, they're going to talk about how this girl got raised from the dead. They got to be part of it, and the others didn't. They're like waiting with the crowd on the outskirts of the town. Um, And so, again, I think as leaders, we have to constantly be wrestling with what is the father doing? This is day three, where we're going to talk a little bit about faithfulness. Like, faithfulness looks like doing what the Father has asked you to do, and that will not always be popular. Um, Now, I think, again, one of the things that we have to, like, press down, and it's one of the things that we'll be pressing down in the next couple of months, is how do we hear from God? And recognizing sometimes we can go to this hyper-individual place where it's just, like, me and God, and that's it. I don't get input from anyone. Um... I think what we do is we invite like the biblical community, so what we're coming out of right here, as well as like the biblical community of that he has given you to this very day to speak into what it is that our sense of what God is doing. But if we have a strong conviction about what God is doing, we do it. Because if we don't do it, what is that called? Disobedience, and that is sinful. <laughs> Um, and so like, I, I feel like the, the invitation, just, I know this is all coming from like ver- one verse in verse 37, like the invitation, um, is to consistently like, not just listen to what God is doing, 
Um, but like when we have checks to wanting to do it, why do we not want to do it? Because we have conflicting motivations. Sometimes it's, I might be lazy. Sometimes like that might scare me. Sometimes I want people to approve of me. Um, and so there are, there are all sorts of things that like make us us. And it's really important as we get a sense of what God is saying, as he's pushing us to do things, um, that we're regularly like testing our hearts because the, I mean, what the, the scriptures say is that like our hearts are in like are, are fickle things. Um, they are constantly um, telling us one thing, then telling us another thing, then telling us another thing, and they're conflicting motivations because we are actually complex beings. And what we want to be doing is to like be testing that with the Lord, be testing that with people that we trust, um, and kind of submitting like this is what my sense of it is. What do we think is going on? in the midst of being faithful people because I can't imagine that like Peter, James and John, like on one level, they probably really enjoyed this. It's cool to see someone raised from the dead. Uh, on the other hand, I can't imagine that later that night they were that comfortable having to have a conversation with nine people. I mean, like, I don't know why we got picked and you didn't. It kind of feels good. <laughs> um, but I, I imagine there was a rub there and they probably weren't as liked in that moment as they might have been previous in the day. I don't know. Things to think about. Um, yeah, the, the other thing that just stuck out to me, and I, these are just random things from a story, and it's not just because we did it on Easter, but these are actually verse 37 and then verse 43. Um, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, which we're starting to see as a theme for Jesus. Something big happens, and he's like, don't tell anyone yet. Like, you experience this, which means the revelation is for you. I don't want the revelation to spread yet, unless my sense is that the revelation should spread. Like, so yesterday we read about, he wanted the revelation to spread, didn't he? So he, he tells the demon-possessed man, don't come with me. Go tell everyone. And in this case, it's don't tell anyone. It's, it's fascinating. But the thing that I actually, like, stuck, stuck out to me, don't tell anyone, and he told them to give her something to eat. Um, just Jesus' attention to... Not just detail, but like he, there's the way in which like the thing that stuck out to me is like the way in which like the spiritual being, the physical being, the emotional being, um, these these things intersect, and she is raised from the dead, and yet like you would think being raised from the dead like she would be fully nourished, right? I, I mean, at least this is what my like why would she be hungry? She's just gotten. I don't know. Like in my mind, I'm thinking if someone has been raised from the dead, they're probably not. I don't know. I guess maybe this is just me. I'm like, I'm not thinking that they're particularly hungry, but there's something that Jesus seems to know about something um, that when someone dies and then they're raised from the dead, like there's some things that you need to attend to. One of them is you need to feed the person. And it's just interesting to me, like the little details that Mark will throw in from time to time about the, that Jesus does or says which just proves to me, like, he's really good at what he does. Like, we already know he's good at what he does. He just raised someone from the dead. But, like, the, like the, uh, like the fullness of how he's good at something, like, of attending to every little detail of that particular experience, particularly for this little girl. He raised her from the dead, and he's still concerned for her well-being. It's, I mean, I don't know. She'd probably eat in the morning, right? Like, she's not going to be that hungry, but he's like, no, no, let's make sure she gets some food right now. And that's a little thing. I'm not even completely sure what I'm trying to say about that. It just struck me this morning as I was reading it. Um, 
Jesus is not just attention to detail, but like understanding the practical nature of what just happened. Um, oh, this is what it was. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when you teach and you don't actually have notes in front of you ever for morning prayers. Um, is that uh, I just lost it. This is not my finest moment. And we're recording all of it. It's fantastic. Uh, what, it, was some, it was about... Um, Yeah, it was something about like how Jesus is discipling them and what the invitation is for us about passing something along. I can't remember exactly what it was. So it couldn't have been that good. We're gonna we're gonna rely on that. If you're listening out there in Radio Land, we're sorry. <laughs> this has not been the best showing in the world. Wow, there's a lot of stuff on this computer. Hold on. Hold on, there we go. We're stopping this recording.